You would think that if you went out and you found the biggest rock star in the world, that that's going to be the end-all, be-all difference for you. And maybe 30 years ago, that was the case. But it's not the case today. Now, we certainly have our artist list that have very well-known players and things like that. In terms of marketing, the most effective way to market via YouTube and influencers is to find the people that have actually created their own audience. They're more valuable than a rock star because you're piggybacking on their work. I hate to say it, but they do that for a reason and they go out and they do demos for a lot of different people. But as soon as they submit that video to YouTube, you're guaranteed their massive audience. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Chris Van Tassel, co-founder of J Rocket Audio Designs. Chris and J Rocket formed J Rocket Audio Designs with the dream of creating the best guitar effects for players around the world. The company's famous saying is, until you stand at the top of a mountain, you will never understand how high it is. Not having the experience in these situations would make it hard to understand what guitar players want. Thankfully, Chris and Jay had been longtime session musicians with many years of experience in the recording industry. After years of dissatisfaction with available products on the market, both Chris and Jay decided to try and create products that satisfied their particular needs for tone. They tapped into their network of top session players for feedback to produce designs for their current line of products, and the results have taken the world by storm. Hand-built in the U.S. and used by some of the top musicians in the world, including Mike McCready, Peter Frampton, and Roger Daltrey, to name a few. J-Rocket Audio Designs covers every aspect of shaping your tone, from overdrives and distortions to delays, modulation, fuzzes, and even buffers. J-Rocket is a player-designed and inspired company with a passion for the touring and player community. Listen in for some great takeaways about Chris's entrepreneurial journey and some stories about what he has experienced along the way. All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry Sprung, and I have the awesome pleasure of being with Chris Van Tassel, co-founder of J-Rocket Audio Designs. And this is a new venture for us. We're talking to somebody from the music world. So uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Larry. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And what I want our listeners to understand is who you are and your path. Can you tell our listeners who you are? How did you get to where you are today. What was the path? Oh boy, that was a long path. But Most of them are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've always maintained kind of a foot in the music industry. I've done other things along the way, but boy, I think I started out working in the recording studios way back in the day. I grew up in Colorado. There was a studio called Avalanche Studio, another one called uh, Caribou, kind of a famous studio. A lot of rock stars recorded there. I started out as just the kid wanting to play the guitar, and it led to opportunities like that, and I enjoyed it. I have to say I gave up sports for music, which I'm sure <laughs> happens 
a lot of the time, but uh, boy, my path went from I graduated high school and literally packed up a van and moved to California thinking I was going to be a rock star. Wow. And in the process, I kind of learned that that's just not the lifestyle for me. And I moved out there in 86. So it was like right in the middle of the hair metal scene, the, the whiskey, the Roxy, Gazaris, all those places. And got to play all those clubs, got to experience that whole scene. And I just kind of realized that really wasn't my thing. And after doing some recordings in some of the local studios, I just kind of realized that's more interesting to me. So after being a session player for various different things, I just decided I want to be on the other side of the console, learn how to mix, <laughs> learn how to produce, learn how to engineer, all that fun stuff. And that landed me doing a lot of projects at a studio at the time that was called Cello. Prior to that, it was the original United Western. It's a really famous studio where the Wrecking Crew did a lot of their stuff. So you'll hear old Elvis, Frank Sinatra, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds record was done there and on and on and on. Probably, I think more number one hits have come out of that studio than uh, any studio in the world. So it was great to work there because you're using microphones that the Beach Boys recorded these famous wow. records and Elvis and all. It was crazy. Really kind of honed my skills there and eventually moved on to do other records, produced here and there. I never really did it full-time, but I did it enough to really experience the industry. And that was right around the time when digital started taking over. And analog was the way. And if you learned how to record via analog two-inch tape, things like that, then you really learned skills. Whereas when digital took over, you just became like a computer engineer. And it wasn't very good for years and years and years. Today, it's much better, and it makes everything a lot more convenient. But it also kind of killed the music industry, just the digital piracy, things like that. And today's era, I would not want to be a musician trying to sell music because you just can't make money unless you're somebody that's like Carrie Underwood, where you're doing Maybelline commercials and right. everything around it. So we were in the process of just kind of re-experiencing the pedal craze. Like they didn't have a whole lot of foot pedals up until probably the early 90s. That's when it kind of started. Back in the day of Hendrix, you know, there were a few and people loved them and they were very archaic. They're just not very refined. And it just, I don't know, there was like a revolution starting in the early 90s where people started coming out with designs for foot pedals. <laughs> and you didn't think it'd be a great industry, but when you realize it's really just an accessory and that's where people spend the most of their money because a $3,000 amp or $3,000 guitar, that's a lot of money, especially for a musician. But you can go spend at the time a hundred bucks to two hundred bucks to get a new pedal that would change your entire sound, right? And so it just really became something that uh, guitar players would collect hundreds of pedals. It's crazy. So we just started designing pedals, learning how to design them, really learning how to read schematics, learning how to lay out circuit boards. The whole process we learned manufacturing all the way around. And I tell people I'm in the music business, but really I'm in the manufacturing business for musicians. It was a learning process, but you know, we took our lumps and learned what to do and eventually ended up where we are today. Started out on a kitchen table with circuits that we were learning how to build and we made them really expensive and copper plated them and thought, hey, <laughs> take the world by storm. Realized that most musicians can't afford 500 bucks right. for an accessory. So it kind of changed and morphed along the way and and we ended up where we are today. And we went from literally building on a kitchen table to full world distribution today. Every major store across the world. And we have a pretty good reputation now. People know us. It's you know, like you had mentioned to me, 
prior to the interview that ran into somebody that knew our stuff. My wife, right. she travels all the time. And of course, when she travels out of Nashville, she sees guys with guitar cases. And she always asks, have you ever heard of rocket pedals? <laughs> and I'd say 99% of the time, either they already own one or they want to get one, which right. is a, it's a nice thing to know. Wow, that's amazing. So where did your love of music originate from? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I used to listen to records in my room, right? It was kind of my own private space, so to speak, just to get away from family and friends and whatever. And I remember just plinking around on a little crappy acoustic that we had. It was this old Yamaha. And I learned how to play a Spanish song called Malagueña, or Mexican, I don't know if one, one of the two. And I was obsessed with learning how to play it. And it was like a challenge. And I'm like, I'm not going to quit until I can play this. And then I moved on to another song, and then another song. And then it just builds from there. And by the time I was eighth grade, I was playing the guitar. I was in bands. And one thing kind of begets the next. And you realize, hey, you get to meet girls when you do this, too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, that was a perfect segue to what I wanted to kind of transition to next, which sure. was who or, or what bands have you had the pleasure of playing with? Are there some big name bands that we would know that you've played with over time? You know, I haven't played in any bands, but I've played with. I remember when I was 19, I was living in San Diego, and the bass player in my band grew up with all the guys in Rat, and of course had met people along the way. And we were practicing one time, and geez, I was 19 years old, and a limo pulls up, and it's a bunch of guys from different bands, right? Dawkin, Rat, Bon Jovi, all this stuff. And uh, we ended up driving up to L.A., to go to the Whiskey, a pretty famous club, for a birthday party for one of the rock stars. And uh, I got to get up and play with all those guys. It was kind of surreal because you really got to see what the life of a rock star was. Right. It was all rock stars, a few and all girls. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of enticing for a 19-year-old, but uh, it was quite an experience. It's one of those moments where you're having that out-of-body experience, so to speak, because these were all my idols, right? You know, the, the guitar player for Rat sure. and Dawkins and Bon Jovi and all these different guys. It was fun. It's a great experience. But that's kind of what, I guess, gave me the confidence to move forward because I felt like I got up on stage and was able to hang with these guys, mm-hmm. which was nice. So did you ever get to have the ability to play live with any of your idols or mentors that you looked up to growing up outside of just like a spur-of-the-moment kind of meetup, or that wasn't something that happened? No, that didn't really occur. If you saw players from famous bands like that ever play shows, it was usually an invite thing for some tribute to somebody. There wasn't a lot of, you know, other than, you know, maybe going to a rehearsal studio and hanging out or jamming with them there, I never did any live performances with any of them. But that was at the time where I kind of figured out that I didn't really want to be a live rock star. Yeah, I wanted to be more in the studio. and. I liked producing the best because you have to think about the music as a whole, not just your instrument. And that actually takes some discipline because you have to hear things differently, you know, for the betterment of the music, not just for that particular instrument. And it's funny because if you're in the studio, you'll always hear somebody pipe up, you know, the guitar player, the singer, or the bass player, I'm not loud enough. <laughs> they never are. <laughs> I think that was where the invention of the producer's knob, where you fake you're turning a knob. Is that better? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's way better. There you go. There you go. So where did the idea for you of becoming an entrepreneur come from? Because it seems like you were in the music field. You knew that you didn't want to be this touring musician. 
and it seems like you've always been tied to the music field. So where and when and how did you make that jump from musician to really wanting to be an entrepreneur and creating this business that really caters to musicians? Well, it was kind of a process of elimination. I had done a bunch of things just, you know, as a young kid trying to make money. And I got into learning how to be a real estate appraiser. And I started making more money than I had ever thought I could ever make doing real estate appraising. And it was in Southern California. So that market was just insane. 20 years later, I'm like, wait a minute, I really do not enjoy doing this. And I'd always had a toe in the music industry along the way. I would do sessions or produce stuff here and there, but it was never a way to make a living. You couldn't count on it. And you would see a lot of producers like waiting for their next gig or or musicians. And I'm like, I need to do something that's more consistent. So I had a really successful company doing real estate appraisal, but I had never been so stressed in my life. <laughs> right. And we started tinkering with these circuits in 2004 and we had no idea. We didn't have any plans of making a business out of it. We just made them for us. And they were like, hey, maybe we could sell a few of these. <laughs> and then you get out there and you realize how hard it is to call a dealership. Hey, would you want to carry these things? You have to learn all the uh, markup and the discounting. And we didn't know anything about any of that. We had to learn everything. And of course, we were too stubborn to hire somebody or listen to somebody. So we took our lumps along the way. But it was a good thing because I know every inch of this industry from the production side to the resale side to everything that it takes, how to plan for production and parts and pieces. And of course, with this supply chain issue that's going on right now, it becomes a real challenge. Sure. Yeah. So it sounds like you were an accidental entrepreneur to some degree, but kind of had the entrepreneurial routes between what you did as a kid and then what you did subsequently as an appraiser. But you just always kept getting drawn back to the music side of things. And yep. now you finally figured out a way, I guess, to have a successful entrepreneurial venture and do it in something in an area that you really love, which is great, right? Yeah. And it was a true challenge because when we started getting going was 2006, right around there, when the market just completely collapsed. And I don't know how we made it through that because at the time we had not really made any headway into the industry. We had a handful of dealers and we're hand building stuff and there was just no way to be successful. And I just thought one day, you know, we really need to work backwards here. We have to think success and move backwards. Well, if we were a successful company, what are the things that we need in place? Well, we knew we had to be able to build these things. We knew that we had to be able to afford to buy the parts. And a lot of people don't think about that. If somebody orders a thousand products from us, you have to buy a thousand products worth of material, which is, right. can be upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. And you don't realize that. And then you deal with the markups and the margins and things like that. And it really starts dictating how you have to set yourself up for success, starting from success backwards. A lot of guys will go out and they'll start a company like this and they'll get successful quickly. And then somebody puts in a thousand piece order and they're like, I can't fill that order. I don't have a hundred thousand dollars and it's just me building them. And that's where you saw a lot of companies die on the vine. Right. And we knew what we had to achieve. And the things that we learned is it really came down to relationships. So we called a contract manufacturer. Well, this contract manufacturer charges a certain amount. Usually it's about a 20% markup on anything that they do. So if they have to buy parts and pieces, 
they mark it up 20%. But then you have to factor in, well, that's worth it because they're basically giving us a loan. And then you get terms with that company and say, okay, 90 days is when we pay you. So we had to go back and really work extra hard to make sure that these dealers were selling our product because that's right. another place where people can die on the vine. Sure. And it was just an ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And sometimes I look back and I'm like, how did we make it? Because <laughs> there were so many mistakes made along the way. And, you know, we still to this day, we're learning how to really handle production. And it's a real challenge today. Well, that's what being a business owner and entrepreneur is all about is learning from mistakes and learning from challenges. I mean, have you seen any correlation from playing music and being in a band to being an entrepreneur? Is there a correlation there in any way, shape or form? I think so. It really teaches you that your next paycheck is on your own shoulders. (laughs) You find people that go and get a job working for a big corporation. That's something they don't have to worry about. They get their paycheck for a period of time, whether they perform or not. Obviously, that can catch up to them. But they can count on that paycheck and certain people can make bonuses or commissions or things like that. But you always have that salary you can bank on. Whereas a musician, you're as good as your next gig, you know, Mm -hmm. and being an entrepreneur, same thing. You either work or you don't. And success and failure are hinging upon those two choices, right? So it was already in you, I guess, so to speak, from the music side of things. It sounds like an almost an easy transition from musician to entrepreneur to some degree, because yeah. a lot of the things you would be used to as a musician, you're kind of already conditioned for as an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. it is, it really is a mindset. I hate to say it, but you look at most musicians and they sleep till noon and they live their lives for the midnight hour, so to speak. And that's fine because that's just where their world takes place. But it does take a little bit more effort. You got to get up and start working and start whatever you need to do that day. And it's usually not the same thing. Right. We will release a new product and there are certain processes that uh, have to be similar every time. But man, there's always a new challenge. You sure. never know, oh, the powder coater messed up or the silk screener messed up or whatever it might be because there's so many different legs to the operation and you are as good as your weakest link. Right. And it it does teach you, right? Teamwork. A hundred percent. Yeah. The idea of the J Rocket Audio Designs, the company as a whole, was that really just surrounding around that pedal and your initial idea around the pedal? Because there's more than just the pedal in audio design company, correct? Or is that really just your mainstay product, more or less? It has been our mainstay product for many years. And I'll be honest with you, we've had to learn ourselves. We were not electronics engineers by any degree. And we had to learn. Now, it's it's simplistic stuff. It really is. But I would say the most important part to building some of these things, which can be done with kits, it can be done with finding schematics online. It's easy. Anybody can do it if you put a little bit of effort into it. But in the end, if you don't have an ear to tell you what's good and what's not good, it's kind of a disaster waiting to happen. Because there are a lot of engineers that will design this stuff and they do it by the book, but they don't sound very good. Sometimes it takes something a little out of the box to go, okay, that's what I was looking for. But, you know, our famous saying is that you have to have been to the top of the mountain to understand how high it is. Right. And my years of being in the recording industry and working with a lot of top session guitar players and and getting the sounds really educated me on what most of these guys were looking for. I was a guitar player as well, and, and we're all referred to as tone freaks. But it's true. It's it's a real thing. And there are certain guys that hear it, even in the world of the rock stars, 
And there are certain guys that don't. I'm one of the ones that don't because I would not be able to hear the difference. There are certainly differences in sounds and I've had other people kind of point them out to me and my ears just don't operate in that fashion for whatever reason, right? Yeah. So are you saying, is that really your value proposition for your pedal is really that sound quality is really head and shoulders above other pedals that are out there on the marketplace? That's your value proposition? Well, we like to think that, but it really is subjective. Mm-hmm. You can take our 10 top competitors and they appeal to their certain fan base for certain things. There are certain companies that appeal to the praise and worship world just because they support certain values. There are certain companies that appeal to what we call the shoegazer world, the younger crowd, right? Because of the artistic design, we tended to take more of an approach of, we want to make our products be something that has to be on your board 30 years from now. It's a mainstay. It's something that is timeless, classic, and always inspirational. And some companies, they try to improve implement that but they also focus more on fancy artwork or something like that and there's nothing wrong with that i would never say that there's any pedal company that's better than another because Mm -hmm. it just comes down to what your personal tastes are we just we design to what we like and then we hope that it translates right sounds like the abundance mindset right if you're out there and you're successful that means that other pedal companies can be successful too it's not a zero-sum game where where you have to fight against everybody else. Everybody can can more or less win. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, you know, when we started out, oh, man, I bet there were a thousand, maybe, different pedal manufacturers. I think the last I read, there was pushing 10,000 wow. pedal manufacturers. And if you didn't get in by a certain time, that climb to the top is going to be a tough one. Sure. It really sure. is. So can you share, I know we've talked about it offline, not uh, during the show just yet, but that you use you and Jay Rocket and the Rocket Pedal, you use influencers to help promote awareness about your products. And I think this is an area that a lot of entrepreneurs think about or are using, but they're not sure what the benefits are. Can you maybe share how you guys are using influencers and how you've seen that help your business? Yeah, absolutely. You would think that if you went out and you found the biggest rock star in the world, that that's going to be the end-all be-all difference for you. And maybe 30 years ago, that was the case, but it's not the case today. Now, we certainly have our artist list that have very well-known players and things like that. In terms of marketing, the most effective way to market via YouTube and influencers is to find the people that have actually created their own audience. They're more valuable than a rock star. Because you're piggybacking on their work, I hate to say it, but they do that for a reason and they go out and they do demos for a lot of different people. But as soon as they submit that video to YouTube, you're guaranteed their massive audience. So what we'll do on a new product release is we'll find the most efficiently performing and most relevant. And they, they come in and out, right? Sometimes they're relevant for six months and then they start to fade to the back as the new guys come in. And it's our job to really stay on top of who is the most relevant, who has the best audience. Because there are so many times where I'm just like, oh, this guy's such a great guitar player. We need him to do a video. Well, then we'll pay him and they usually keep the product and things like that. And then we don't see a whole lot of return, even though the video is great and they're a great player. They just didn't have the audience in place. And a lot of guitar players are learning that they have an entire new world that they can exploit 
to uh, not only brand themselves as a musician, but get consistent work. It's not sure. just selling music and being a rock star. It's with YouTube, the sky's the limit for just about anybody. So whatever works in our industry, pretty similar to any industry. Right. So basically you want to find somebody who has a following and more importantly, has a following that it was going to clamor for the products that you have. In your case, you want somebody who is a musician, who other musicians are following and look up to and would ultimately take advice and guidance from where if they're saying that this is the greatest pedal since sliced bread, that they're going to go out and try it, their audience, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you also can suffer greatly if you find a guy that doesn't know how to make it sound good, who's not a very good guitar player. Right. You know, you may you may find a guy like that that has a huge audience and he creates a terrible demo. Or right. He's just influenced a lot of people to say this thing's terrible when it's, right. it wasn't the product's fault necessarily. I've definitely seen that before. Yeah, so it's it's a very fine line and you have to do your due diligence to make sure that you're empowering the right people to be behind your product because yeah. they're just the same as if you go out there and promote it yourself. Oh, yeah. So you alluded to earlier, you said it kind of straight out that being a musician really wasn't the lifestyle that you wanted to have, right? And that's kind of where you started moving over to the entrepreneurial world. So what have been some of the best experiences that you've been through as an outcome of founding your own company and being an entrepreneur? What is the positive side of that equation that you've been able to experience? Well, for me, it really just came down to, you know, you find a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. There you go. It's something that is enjoyable to do every day. For instance, I don't know how many of your audience members will know who a guitar player named Jeff Beck is, but amongst guitar players, he's kind of a god, right? Okay. Been around, he was in the Yardbirds, as well as Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton. They were all in the Yardbirds. Well known, yeah. But Jeff Beck has maintained this cult following his whole career, and he seems to have gotten better and better. Well, we created a product that he ultimately ended up using, and he recorded his last album with it. And just to be able to say, wow, this product that we created helped one of these just unbelievable, and he's beyond a rock star. And so to have a guy like that create his album using this, and you just hear him play, and you think, wow, that's one of my products behind that tone. It's pretty surreal. Those are the type of moments that I enjoy, you know, going out and meeting people. It's great. And we do get our fair share of being able to meet well-known musicians and things like that. And some are great, some are not so great. But uh, at the end of the day, that's everybody in the world. But uh, Do you get a credit for that on the album or no? No. <laughs> no. Does the company, does, I don't know, do you get a credit for sound by rocket pedals or anything like that? On no, the, uh, I wish album? we did. <laughs> in fact, I had sent a post or sent a post out once saying, hey, if you know of anybody that's using our stuff, send a picture. Because right. they're pretty secretive about the gear that they use. You know, right. I don't know, yeah. you know, like Eddie Van Halen back in the day used to turn his back to the audience because he didn't want to show off what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing, you know, if guy achieves his greatest tone of all and one of your products is part of it, they don't want to tell everybody else because then <laughs> they get that secret, you know? So Give we, him a leg up. Yeah. Give him a leg up. So I have to ask. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you because you've been a musician for a long time. You're embedded in the music industry. Who is your favorite band or performer and why? Well, I grew up a Van Halen fan. Okay. For me, you'll get the guys that'll argue all day long. You've got probably three guitar players that just changed the world. You know what I mean? I just remember when Eddie Van Halen came out, people passing the album around going, 
what is this? This guy's from <laughs> outer. How is he doing this? Right. Never seen a guitar player that just perplexed the entire industry. And usually guys like that are a one and done, right? They did it all on their first album, then everything is just a repeat of that. But every record for four or five years, he came out with something that just blew guitar players' minds. And he was solely responsible for changing the way people played guitar. Not everybody, but he probably had a bigger influence on how guitar player or guitar players changed over the years than Hendrix, than anybody. Hendrix had a big influence, and a lot of people will swear he's the best guitar player of all time, but he wasn't around long enough. Right. I was gonna, that was what I was going to say. Was he around long enough to really prove that yeah. out? Yeah. So for me, I was a huge Van Halen fan. And, you know, I grew up just a clone of Eddie Van Halen. And then you start realizing you have to have your own voice. And <laughs> right. it's hard to imitate somebody perfectly, but it's fun to do. Well, listen, they're a good band. I've enjoyed their music over the years. And uh, I still enjoy their music when it comes on or I play it through my iPod. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah. So I got to ask, what's up next for Chris Van Tassel? Is there anything big on the horizon for you? For me personally? Or you and Rocket Pedals? Yeah, well, we're always developing new stuff. And we like to believe that the next item is the greatest item. We've got a new release coming out April 15th. I can't really reveal anything because it's usually just this one big release where all the YouTube videos are released and all the stores put it on sale. And it's kind of a big surprise. But... uh yeah, we've been working really hard on designs so that we can have four or five, six designs in the hopper so that we can then have a consistent every two or three month release. So we've really been, really been uh, working hard behind the scenes. And, you know, it's more than just developing a pedal. It's developing a relevant product, something that hasn't been done a thousand times or something that's going to change the way people do things. But then if you go too far and it's too outside of the box, people just won't accept it. So right. there's a balance without a doubt. Are you changing the pedal every couple of months in terms of trying to attract new people who may not have been attracted to a previous one? Or are there refinements that are going on up and beyond that? Or what's the thought process by having a new pedal every several months? Well, every pedal company has to offer a full line. There are a bunch of very well-accepted types of effects that everybody's going to come out with their version of it, whether it's an overdrive or a delay or a chorus pedal or whatever it might be. And then once you have released your version of all of those mainstays, that's when you have to start getting creative. We've gotten very creative on some of our power accessories. It's not sexy in any way, <laughs> but it's a necessity. And in our industry, it takes a long time for change to be accepted. And I'll give you an example. To power all of your pedals, you usually have what's called either a linear power supply or a switching power supply. And people have tried to implement batteries, battery technology over the years. They just haven't taken. And when you really sit down and think about how those things are being done, they are very archaic, effective, and they work just fine. But we tried to come up with some ideas that would be, it's hard to say game changers, but products that will take care of Let's say you lose your power cord or your power supply blows out. We tried to come up with a product that would remedy that. So we have a, a new product that will distribute power. Now, right. whatever power source that you want to choose, it will take it. Plus, it will convert it. So you will have 9-volt outputs. You'll have 12-volt outputs. You'll have 18-volt outputs. And then you can power it with a switching power supply. You can power it with a linear power supply. Or you can power it with a battery, like, you know... The batteries you get to charge your phone when you're on, sure. a, on a flight, 
Or you can actually use your Apple or 5-volt charger and power your whole pedal board. So the purpose behind this is, let's say you're playing a gig, your power supply goes out. Well, somebody in the audience is going to have a a phone cord and a phone charger. And and it saves you, right? And then if you want to remove yourself from the grid, so to speak, and get rid of things like 60-cycle hum, or if you're in the studio and you need everything to be dead quiet, you hook a battery up. Well, batteries in the past, they would last maybe an hour. And musicians just didn't want to hassle with it. Right. But with this design, you can take a 26,000 milliamp hour battery and it'll power your board up to 12 hours. Wow. Two amps worth of draw, which is unheard of. And so that's a new product that we're getting ready to release. And you can charge your iPad and your iPhone on it and all sorts of things. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. And uh, we'll look to see some of these new things coming on the horizon from you and Jay Rocket and Rocket Pedals. Yeah. And as you know, Chris, listen, this is the Midland Money Mindset. I know we have a little running joke. Chris calls it, mm, but uh, now <laughs> it's time. We, I need to ask you the question we end every show with, which is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? <laughs> well, I like to say I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah, it is a good start. <laughs> You know, it has been a busy day, and as you know, we contend with a lot of different things in our lives when it comes to the kids and everything that they're involved with, but you know what? I think that if you can just wake up every day and be happy to take on the things that are in front of you, then you're ahead of most of the crowd, because I get so many people, and I know so many people that wake up dreading their day, and I think the secret to success is enjoying what you do. I can never predict what's going to come at me on a daily basis, but... It's how I handle it, how I choose to handle it, is whether it turns into a success or a failure. Right. Agreed. And uh, I think that's sage advice to share with the audience, with our listeners, and a great way to end the show. It's been a pleasure having you on, and we'll have all of your information in the show notes. But if people want to contact you, learn more about J-Rocket and the Rocket Pedal What's the easiest and best place for them to go in order to learn more? Well, you can certainly go to any one of our dealers, but in order to locate those dealers, our website's always the best way. So it's www.rocketpedals.com. Rocket has two T's in it. There you go. Well, thank you for sharing. I appreciate your time and make it a great day. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it. I want to thank Chris Van Tassel for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Chris and Jay Rocket are on a mission to fulfill the needs of musicians around the world, enabling them to produce the best music they can. He is not only an owner of the business, but as a musician, he is a customer too. Chris is always looking for feedback so they can refine their products and produce equipment that musicians need and want. Chris's journey has been an amazing one that has brought him a great deal of joy by helping and meeting some of the best musicians in the world. Chris and J-Rocket Audio Designs can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. 
And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.